0: I am going to be reading the text for this morning. Um, this is Mark 1, 21 through 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of God.
1: So it's only recently that humans have started thinking we know as much as we think we know culturally and scientifically about our world. And in in no way am I saying that that's unimportant our scientific achievements and our understanding. I am saying that for literally thousands of years, most humans, most religions across the world have assumed That there's more to the world than we can see, more than we can sense or sense strongly, more than we understand. And during Jesus' ministry, he regularly interacted with evil spirits. We're doing a series on the questions asked of Jesus. And I've been saying the questions people asked him, but here we have two questions asked of him by an evil spirit. This is under the heading of Jesus' enemies, those that were not for him. And we have people in our lives that are not for us. These are ones that he couldn't see. Evil spirits. I was actually wondering about that. Could he see them in the texts? He knows their voices. He knows that they're evil spirits. He knows their names. I wonder if he could see them in light of the hypostatic union and the kenosis. What happened to his eyes? Could he see them or not? We don't know. We do know there's more to existence according to the scriptures and especially according to Jesus than we can see. Or fully understand and one of the things I want to get at really quickly in this sermon is throughout the scriptures there's this encouragement and it's an encouragement and it's it's a command in the sense that it's an encouragement not in the sense that it's a, a list of sin but it's so consistent from Genesis to Revelation and it's fear not and it's a loving invitation to a relationship with God that heals us of our fear And I was looking through the scriptures for the the times that God or an angel or uh, one of the leaders of the Old Testament church or the New Testament church say, fear not, and it's never in conjunction with one of these stories of an evil spirit. So there are many stories like this. Like, I love to tell people to read the book of Mark. People considering the gospel of Jesus, people want to be more familiar with the, the Bible and they're kind of thinking about it or they're early in their faith, I'll often recommend Mark. Well, there it is in chapter one, these unclean spirits. Demons. And Jesus speaks to them, and he has full power over them, and we'll get to that. But when we read that, does it make us more afraid? And for followers of Jesus, every interaction with an unclean or an evil spirit ought to lead us to quick remembrance of or learning of the power of God and how that power compares to our power, and the power within the world. So in the scripture, there are about about, about 145 times that God says, directly or indirectly, fear not. I recently heard Rick Warren say 365 times. I couldn't find all those references, and I sort of thought, if it's gonna be 365, shouldn't it be 365 and a quarter, right? But I read 145 references, and um, all of them are about other things, And the reason is the power of God is so transcendently larger than any other power that our fears are more often in relation to the challenge of obedience in a broken world or in our worship or in our specific role. Oftentimes people were nervous about their specific role in the kingdom and they were afraid. Christians often make a mistake with respect to thinking about evil spirits, and specifically spiritual warfare, and they make one of two mistakes. And our hope is to live somewhere in the tension that Scripture creates for us in how much do we attend to these things. One mistake is, it's everything. Spiritual warfare is behind everything. Sickness, death, famine, war, I think spiritual warfare affects all those things, but it isn't all of them. Now, the other mistake, and this is a little closer to our tradition, Presbyterian and Reformed, is to say it, has no, it no longer has any, it doesn't matter. Spiritual warfare isn't part of the Christian life. And our maturity as followers of Jesus is to grow into uh, assessing this the way that Jesus and the writers of the New Testament do. It's actually not mentioned in the Old Testament except very, very indirectly. And I wanna point something else out because oddly, I'm pretty darn close to an expert on how Christianity overlaps with horror movies. And we need to talk about this because some of us love horror movies and they can increase our fear in a way that is profoundly unbiblical. And how many of you like horror movies and some of you are embarrassed, so you can just just kinda do this. So there are seasons in my life where a horror movie is the only thing that can actually distract me from what else is going on, and I I love them. And I think I've told you guys this before. Do you guys know what I do when I'm scared? I snap. (laughs) And so my wife, who does not like horror movies, will be sitting in the living room watching Netflix on her computer or reading, and she'll hear the movie a little bit through the door, but then she'll hear the snap, because I'm missing part of my thumb, so the knuckles right there, so my snap is really loud. In movies that are scary, and the, the, the fear part of it overlaps with a Christian worldview, they always, this is where I'm oddly kind of an expert. I haven't seen every horror movie, but I've seen a lot of them. If they're well-reviewed, I will eventually watch them. If it overlaps at all with a Christian worldview, there are always three things they have to do to make the story work. And I know most of you are like, I don't care, but listen, this is part of us contending with our fear in a gospel fashion. They take Jesus almost totally out of the equation. They give the spirits far more power than they actually have, and they make the human's effort against the spirit the thing that stops them. Compared to the stories in the scripture, that's what they have to do in The, ex- in the Exorcist, in the Amityville stories. They do all three of those things to make the story work because if the story happened the way it always happens to Jesus, you're talking about like an 11-minute movie. And I say that because we watch these movies and some of them are incredibly compelling. I mean, some of you grew up when The Exorcist came came out in theaters. It was so popular. 57 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and then the movie was also very popular. And some part of that I'm actually thankful for because our culture would lead us to believe, in some respects, that there isn't more to the world than we can see or understand. And (laughs) these films are a strong pushback on that. At the same time, in the stories of the gospel... The balance of power can't even be called a balance of power. It's all on Jesus' side. It's not 99 and 1. It's not 80 20. So, Jesus' enemies, in this case, were frightened of the kingdom. If you read the Gospels and you read the stories of unclean spirits, of demons, who's frightened in those stories? The unclean spirits. This spirit is terrified of Jesus. Did you catch that he tries to name Jesus? He's trying to exert some kind of power over him? I don't know if you read sci-fi or fantasy. Not sci-fi. In fantasy novels, the name of a person, if it's known, gives power to the person who's either their friend or foe. Perhaps that's what the demon's trying to do. Does it work? No, no. Notice who's frightened. Who's not frightened? The people watching. Jesus. It doesn't record that they're frightened. And none of the times that Jesus or an angel during the ministry of Jesus says fear not is connected to one of these stories. It's always when an angel appears. Because the glory and holiness of God, which angels represent, they don't have it, but they represent it, that's actually frightening. So it's actually Jesus' enemies who are frightened, which reminds us that in Christ, we have nothing to fear. Which I don't expect that to remove all of your fear. I do expect you to utilize that truth in speaking to your fear about what's true. And again, in those, the 145 or so verses that I read where God encourages us to not fear, it's often about obedience. Because it's scary to obey Christ in a world that does not honor or know him. Oftentimes it's about human experience. The human experience is frightening. And so we speak to our soul, because of the life we've already lived, about the power of God and speak it to our fears. I'll tell you my two favorite scriptures, and you're gonna, you're gonna totally have predicted this, they're from Haggai and Jeremiah. No? I was surprised too. So these are the two favorite of the the 145 that I read. This is from Jeremiah chapter 10, verse five. God speaking to the nation of Israel says, their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. What a pleasant analogy. And they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. And then from Haggai, chapter two, verses four and five, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. God consistently speaks to his people about fear and it is not because there is evil in the world that we cannot see. It is because the world is far more broken than that and living the joyful with God life will be one where we will need to speak to our own souls about our fear. See, what happens is as Jesus begins to do his earthly ministry, the power of it was invading the spiritual realm. That's why the evil spirits are afraid because men and women began trusting Jesus with their heart and with their decisions. And what you receive when you do that or what they were receiving when they did that was the righteousness of the kingdom, the joy of the kingdom, and the peace. And the power of that was something that was affecting these evil spirits and scaring them because they had no power in its face. I want to... Point something out that I hope that you know already. Jesus has no opponent. You know the difference between an adversary and an opponent? An adversary is attempting to thwart the work of someone else, an opponent is one that is on their level. The word Satan in the Old Testament is adversary. Satan does long to steal, kill, and destroy, and yet he's finite. God is infinite. Jesus has no opponent. And if he is in you, then you receive the full protection of him. Jesus' enemies are frightened of the kingdom because of its purity. I don't know if you've read the Screwtape Letters. I find it actually to be the most profound book on spiritual warfare for those living in places where there are a lot of Christians. I've read a, a few stories, um, missionaries especially. In countries where it 's less than one percent of the population are christians and and their experience of warfare is is typically more direct and profound than others, and yet the power is the same. it is the full power of god and if you 'd like me to share some of those stories with you another time, I will in the screw tape letters, the only problem with it by the way, is that the demons are English, um, and so they 're a little more polite perhaps I think than <laughs> demons are but in the screw tape letters what they, what the demons talk about is the affections of people. And if you work at what they love, you can distract them from the gospel. And then even if they are a Christian, attempt to to pull away their joy in Christ by distracting their affections. This teaches us what frightens the demons about what God is doing in our life in this very moment. Are you tracking with me? You see, when a person trusts Christ with their heart and with their decisions, which means that God pursued them in love and called them to himself, He gives that person a new heart and then the Holy Spirit begins to purify their affections and they long for the good of the world and of their neighbor. They seek justice and peace with their relative gifts and circumstances and affections and the demons see what they long for which is destruction being undone in the lives of followers of Jesus because of the purity of the gospel of Jesus. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the natural tendency of a human. So when Jesus pursues a woman or a man and calls them to himself, gives them a new heart and new motivations and purifies their affection, they become an agent of reconciliation, peace, and justice. That frightened the enemies of Jesus. In light of Mark 1 and Mark 5, and especially the Lord's Prayer, we do need to take a moment and notice that it is important to learn to pray against evil. One of the problems with the way that we interact with the Lord's Prayer, and I I go back and forth on this literally every week as a pastor, it's so memorized, we sometimes miss the power of it and the teaching of it. I've said this before, but for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power is a beautiful and a God-honoring prayer, and it's not how Jesus closed the Lord's Prayer, either the two times he taught it. He closed it with this. Protect us from the evil we can see, temptation, and the evil we cannot see. And I'm thankful there are a lot of people here that guide us in that. It is important that we pray in our own time alone against evil, It's important that we ask for help. I'll tell you the three of the people that I have been really thankful for since I've been here praying when when there's some sense of evil are Dave Simpson and Beth Roeblatt and Carrie Reeves. And I tell you that because there are a lot of people in this church that are comfortable hearing our stories and praying with us. And that's an important thing that we do. I've been thankful for all of others of you that I've prayed with. But with respect to warfare, those people have taught me prayed with me about it and I say it as a reminder, that's part of the importance of spiritual community. Though all the power in the story is on Jesus' side, we are still in the presence of evil. The world is still cursed. And one of the things that we do is pray against that. Parents, it's important that you begin teaching your children. You do not want to scare them and yet you need to teach them the Lord's Prayer. And How did Jesus say to pray the Lord's Prayer? He didn't say pray these words. He said, pray this way, which doesn't mean don't pray the words, but it means also pray this way. I'll tell you how I pray with my children. We've been expanding it a little bit last night, and my 10-year-old said, let's not do the expanded. She said, let's do the, the regular prayer. That's God make our house like your kingdom. Give us everything we need. Forgive us for not showing love to you. Help us to forgive others when they don't show love to us and protect us. Parents, it's essential that we both pray with and for our children in this way and that we teach them to pray this way because the scripture teaches and Jesus interacted easily with things outside of our understanding. That's why it's at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. There are other ways to pray against the evil that we cannot see, Ephesians 6. But the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught it twice on purpose. And we utilize it to enjoy our joy in the face of evil. We utilize the Lord's Prayer to receive the peace that we have purchased by Christ through the gift of prayer. Jesus' enemies were frightened of the kingdom due to its purity and their power. If you read these stories, there's no, I already said it, I'm going to say it again, there's no balance of power, there's no fight. There's only fear coming from the evil spirits because Jesus is God. And no evil spirit has permission to move, speak, interact with the world, except that God allows it. Which then leads us to a question, how long, O Lord, until you come back down And heal the world. And remove us from the presence of all of them. Well now you're praying like a psalmist. And you're praying like Jesus. The strongest part of the Lord's prayer is your kingdom come. Your will be done. Which is a command like Jesus. Go ahead and come back down. Not this moment. Okay we'll make our kingdoms as much like yours as possible. In the meantime. But Where is the power? As startling as the information might be. As you read through the gospels. That there is evil in the world. That we cannot see. The stories reflect the character and the power and the person of Christ. That's actually their purpose. The reason they're recorded in the scriptures is they happened. People witnessed in church a man convulse as an evil spirit left him. The reason it's there is so that we might know fully who Jesus is. His character and power and the offer of a kingdom life to us. I find it remarkable that Jesus is patient and kind even with evil spirits. I don't know if you find that remarkable. What I find more remarkable are the, is the promise of God that He has us, that those of us that have given Him our allegiance and our affections because he called us to himself. That love will never leave or forsake us. That's the power in all of these stories that these stories give us a more broad imagination towards. When Jesus walked on water, when he made it clear that he could calm the oceans, when he healed sicknesses, when he cast out evil spirits, all of those things were to support his teachings about himself that he's God. And that we receive in relationship with him peace and righteousness and joy. And this promise from Romans chapter 8 is yours and mine because of the Holy Spirit's pursuit of us and because of the work of Christ and because the love of God will never fail. For I am sure that neither death nor life, I'm in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is evil in the world and you are protected by a love that is unstoppable and unstoppably good and nothing can ever separate you from that love. nothing, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. That's good news. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are startled because it's a startling world. And we ask again this morning for your protection from both what we can see and what we cannot see. We ask that you would give us a reminder, Holy Spirit, as many times a day as we can handle, that nothing will ever separate us from your love. We long, Jesus, to be with you and to not be so startled and confused by the world and Desire your kingdom to come to earth and make all things new. In the meantime, Holy Spirit, guard our hearts. Remind us that your grace is enough for our yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen.